What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, Fed Chair Jay Powell live at Jackson Hole. Higher interest rates will bring down inflation. They will also bring some pain to households and businesses. Recapping that huge headline and how the Biden administration is helping or maybe hurting the inflation reduction effort with former chairman of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, Jason Furman. When you give a worker a raise, if they're not getting more productive, you can't afford that raise without raising prices. So this to me says more price pressures ahead, a harder job for the Fed. Upgrades for the metaverse think nice furniture and facial expressions and the lipstick indicator. We're getting dolled up. Recession, inflation be damned. CNBC's Courtney Reagan. You know, consumers may be pretty cranky when they're filling up their cars and their grocery carts because of inflation, but they're looking their best while they're doing it. Plus, it's that time of year. The U.S. Open is back in New York. United States Tennis Association CEO Lou Shear. We didn't see the international fans last year in the way that we're seeing them come back this year, which is great for the event, also great for New York City. It's Friday, August 26th, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. What's happening today, the Fed speak coming out of Jackson Hole, specifically from Jay Powell. Markets will be focused on that. It's a Friday, so maybe not a surprise to see a bit of a pullback at this point. Yeah, weird uh, close yesterday. Really accelerated into the close to, to be to pick closer. up. Right Everybody knew what was happening today. So. Right. That's why we covering, think that Mr. Market is logical and, and thinks things do through we? and rational. but. <laughs> You know, it's like yesterday, yay, everything's here. And today, oh, no, the Fed's going to be speaking. Or it, it, Jason, it, Jay Powell's going to be speaking. It's August. Yeah. Uh, and it, so it's, I guess it's somewhat out. thinly traded. but And maybe it was some short covering going, going into the closes, as you would think people might be. I mean, this is not going to be great news that we hear from him, that we got to keep going and going and going. Look, for the week, the markets are down, even with the gains that we saw yesterday. So maybe that tells you some of this was baked in. Alas, maybe not completely priced in. After Fed Chair Jay Powell spoke from Jackson Hole in Wyoming, stocks fell a little bit. Inflation is running well above 2%, while the lower inflation readings for July are certainly welcome. A single month's improvement falls far short of what the committee will need to see before we are confident that inflation is moving down. July's increase in the target range was the second 75 basis point increase in as many meetings. And I said then that another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting. He only spoke for about eight minutes, but his message could not have been clearer. In an effort to reduce inflation, the Fed will continue to raise rates, even if it comes with an economic slowdown. While higher interest rates, slower growth, 
and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. What the markets really wanted to know, though, is how much the Fed will be raising rates. 50 basis points, 75. We won't know until the next FOMC meeting in mid-September. William Sonoma is jumping into the virtual world. The company's CEO telling Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night that the home retailer is collaborating with video game company Roblox. West Elm is going to be the first home furnishings retailer to provide and be a partner with, provide furniture, digital furniture, and be a partner with Roblox. Roblox, of course, is especially popular among kids and consumer brands, including Nike and Gucci, have recently announced tie-ups with the company to introduce their brands to younger audiences. William Sonoma says sales of West Elm branded digital products will generate revenue for the company. And Joe, I can think of a, another advantage too. In the virtual world, you actually get your furniture when you order it. I've been waiting months to get There's my furniture. My kitchen chair is from William There's Sonoma. There's a lot of advantages. There's a lot of advantages. Can you program what happens in the virtual world? <laughs> in terms of how people react to you? Yeah, no. yeah. No. Like, this girl's gonna like me when I yes. talk to her. Yes, can you do that? No. Um, no. Well, not if you're dealing with real people. I guess if you deal with AI, sure. You need to help me with that. Joe, Oh, you're the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Z Zuckerberg was saying how, and, and I feel bad for Mark a little bit. He seems very comfortable in the in the meta world, doesn't he? Does he not like this world no. so much? You know, if you've grown up behind the screen, you know, working through the screens and the check on our terminal. One of Jim Cramer's funniest lines that he tweeted out was that, that Mark failed a, a Turing test. Yes, I do remember that. And speaking of Mark Zuckerberg, he was on the latest episode of another podcast you might listen to. <sighs> it's okay. We concede that you might listen to other pods besides ours. I'm talking about the Joe Rogan experience. Zuckerberg was talking about a new headset coming from Meta in October. It's supposed to help with social presence in the metaverse. The, the one that you're talking about, um, basically social presence. I mean, the ability to... Uh, now have kind of eye contact in virtual reality. Mm. Have your face be tracked so that way um, your avatar, it's not just like this still thing, um, but if you smile or if you frown or if you pout or, you know, whatever your expression is, have that actually just in real time translate to your avatar. I mean, that's such, obviously like our facial expressions are just a huge, um, that's like a, you know, there's more nonverbal communication. It is called the Lipstick Indicator, and it's long given investors and consumer companies a pretty good sense of the economy and where people are determined to spend money. Courtney Reagan joins us right now with the story. And how's the Lipstick Indicator doing these days, Court? Pretty well, Becky. You know, consumers may be pretty cranky when they're filling up their cars and their grocery carts because of inflation, but they're looking their best while they're doing it. Alta's net sales increased nearly 17% in the quarter from the year prior. Cody sales up 10%. That's the parent behind beauty brands, including CoverGirl, Max Factor, Gucci, Burberry, Kylie Skin, many others. Estee Lauder sales grew 9%. Target beauty sales saw high single-digit growth. Kohl's stores with the Sephora are seeing high single-digit sales lift compared to the stores that don't have one yet. Cody CEO Sue Nabby said the beauty is seeing no signs of slowdown with no trade down, but rather more trading up into prestige brands. The lipstick indicator is an economic trope. When time gets to get tough, a little luxury like lipstick is something shoppers are last to give up. But Nabby told me that actually the fragrance indicator might better encompass genders and ages. 
At Coty, you know, we love to talk about what we call the fragrance index. You know, fragrances are booming, specifically in the US, but globally, this category is 20% ahead above the levels of 2019. And this really speaks a lot to what's so unique about this category. It's a category that says things about who you are and about how you feel, which are two very important elements currently. I guess as we reemerge, we all want to smell pretty good. And Sentin's winning across the board. Estee Lauder fragrance net sales grew 22%. Ulta fragrance saw double-digit comp growth. Macy CEO Jeff Gannett told me fragrance remains, remains a standout for the retailer. And if you look at the retail ETF, the XRT, over three months, shares are up 2%. But eyes, lips, lips face, ELF, those shares up 55%. Cody up 22%. And Ulta and Estee Lauder up 15% in that same period of time. Becky? You know, Court, I know we been looking at the lipstick indicator for decades and decades, and it was supposed to be a good sign. I just wonder how much it's messed up with the idea that people are so excited to buy lipstick because they took off their masks, <laughs> like, right? How did the how did COVID and all of those things kind of play into it this time around? No, I know that's that's such a good point, and I sort of thought the same thing, right? And then maybe because we didn't buy it for so long, and now we are, we're seeing a big jump. But really, when you look sort of even deeper within the beauty category. So the example of fragrance is a is a good one. Um, you know, that's certainly beyond lipstick. They're just seeing strength across the board. Jeff Gannett talked to me about color cosmetics really coming back. Gen Z is more into contouring. Uh, clean beauty has become really important. And so you're seeing sales in that category really take off in a category that didn't previously exist. And I think a lot of consumers sort of associate the cosmetics, beauty, skincare, all with this self-care and wellness, which is a trend that I don't think is going away anytime soon. And we're also all staring at our own faces on screens all the time, right? Whether it's like FaceTime or Zoom, right. you can't help but sort of give yourself a little look before you look at the people you're talking to. I have to imagine that has something to do with this. What is clean beauty? Is that like the organic stuff that doesn't have as many yes, chemicals in it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's the idea that, you know, products are are cleaner and they're um, less filled with sort of artificial ingredients. Maybe they're vegan, maybe they're gluten-free, which I know sounds silly because you're not ingesting it. But, you know, of course, that is important to some consumers. The trade-off, of course, for years has been the performance wasn't as good. But the Cody CEO, Sue Navi, was telling me that they've actually done a much better job getting sort of full-day coverage, but also emerging in this clean beauty category. So just sort of check both boxes. And the better those cosmetics get the more willing consumers are looking for them and the more willing they are to pay up for them, frankly. Gluten-free really helps some people. I know, Courtney, like people that have a, a, a yeah. condition, right? Uh, it does, sure. for, for someone with celiacs or whatever it is, it, would, would gluten-free makeup be better? Is that actually better for them or is it just more? I mean, I mean, I could understand, yeah. but, but the whole, look, it doesn't matter this whole thing, you know, no, no GMOs when, I mean, some GMOs, you'd really like some, believe me, there's some things that GMOs can do, <laughs> make, make natural food so much better, but it's just, oh no, GMOs, because people are, they're, they um, don't Although know I will say, I bought a vegan leather, um, you did? Uh, like, chair. That, that, you know, like, look, I, okay, I, I don't want to kill animals for it if I don't have to. It's, okay. Just make sure. That, and, and that vegan leather is just pleather, but the pleather's gotten you, much better than it used to be. I hope you enjoy your Beyond Meat steak tonight. <laughs> I, look, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a vegan. I do eat meat for Cows time, are really nice, my friend. And I, so I just, are pigs. You know how cute pigs are? I know, so and they're smart, too. They are smart. They are smart. Anything, you better, you I, better I'm tread lightly. I'm trying to cut back. I, am, I'm, I still eat meat from time to time, not all that often, but 
Like, look, if I'm going to buy you clothing or something. You drive a 35 so the bugs can get out of the way? No. Okay. So you, know, you, don't, you know me too well. You know yeah, I drive 35. Courtney, you don't know whether, so you don't really know whether people that have a, a condition benefit from gluten I don't. Free. So just saying it's gluten-free to people know. who don't have a condition, go, there are idiots <laughs> out there that would pay up for a gluten-free makeup because I mean you know if you're trying to avoid gluten all over your body it kind of makes sense right <laughs> like why why put I get it, it if you don't have to look it out I'm gonna look at I may start avoiding gluten all over my body as you just said because uh, you usually roll around in it yeah check yeah, you say I got a big yeah, check, it, check your powder Joe <laughs> yeah got, yeah my baby I did stop using uh talk yeah 30 years ago because if if it is has a chemical structure chance. that looks yeah. uh like it could be carcinogenic. I don't want it anywhere near me. Coming up on Squawk Pod, as of today, we know that Fed Chair Jay Powell is committed, aggressively, to raising rates and reducing inflation. But how do the Biden administration's policies fit in with that inflation reduction agenda? Harvard professor, economist, oh, and a speaker at the same Jackson Hole conference that Jay Powell's attending, Jason Furman. At this point in our economy, we really don't need to be adding $500 billion of deficit spending for a purpose that frankly, you know, includes wealthy law students and business school graduates getting tens of thousands of dollars. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. And earlier, I gave you a recap of the biggest headline from Fed Chair Jay Powell's highly anticipated comments from the Jackson Hole meeting. The Fed is raising rates. The aggressive stance is aimed at curbing U.S. inflation, but the Federal Reserve doesn't work alone. Congress, via the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, is also part of the equation, and President Biden is too. Which brings us to a story we've been talking about this week a lot the student loan forgiveness plan. Now for some, including our next guest, this plan isn't doing anything to help our inflation problem in the US. In fact, economists, like this one, are worried it might make matters worse. Here's Becky. Former economic advisor to President Obama, Jason Furman, criticizing President Biden's student loan debt forgiveness in a lengthy tweet this week. Furman said pouring roughly half a trillion dollars of gasoline on the inflationary fire that's already burning is reckless. 
doing it while going well beyond one campaign promise, 10,000 of student, uh, student loan relief, and breaking another, all proposals paid for, is even worse. Jason Furman joins us this morning. He's currently a professor at the Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Also with us, of course, our own Steve Leisman. And, and Jason, I was following uh, you on Twitter, like I always do, saw this, and that was just the first point in a long list of complaints you kind of laid out about this. And I know initially you were in favor and kind of excited about the idea and the prospect of this. What, what went wrong? What happened? Oh, no, but I, I've been critical of student loan debt relief. Um, for the last two years. But the plan came in, frankly, much worse than I expected. Um, it was supposed to be about $250 billion. I thought that was a bad idea. I expressed that. Instead, it's probably about $500 billion. And at this point in our economy, we really don't need to be adding $500 billion of deficit spending for a purpose that, frankly, you know, includes wealthy law students and business school graduates getting tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I think that's part of the kind of big confusion that's out there on this. Who's getting the money? How does it break down? I think to a large extent, there are going to be millions and millions of people that this wipes out all of their debt entirely. Um, there's a very small portion of people, maybe 7% of the people who have loans at all, to student debt loans at all, that have more than 100,000, and that's really what skews the numbers here. Yeah, look, the income limit here is $250,000 for a married couple. If you're 25 years old, you're married already, you're making less than 250,000, you're probably making enough money that you can pay off your student loans. And to be clear, our college financing system is broken. It has a lot of problems, but doing this type of step is just a way of encouraging more reliance on debt in the future, increasing the likelihood that we end up back in further problems. Did you saw I retweeted right away what, what you said, Jason. I don't know whether you, we follow each other. And I talk did see you. that, Joe. You were, there, there, were, there were about 1,000 people that retweeted it. 999 of them were death threats, but then there was you being nice to me, Joe. So I, I, appreciate I was being that. very, I, I was being very nice. And I, and I you know, and, and Larry Summers speaks his mind as well, here's just philosophically uh, what I was trying to figure out, uh, Jason, was um, is this a bridge too far for you or in terms of the, the spending and worrying about inflation? Or did you think some of the did you think the uh, the IR, the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, the any of the trillions that we've already seen spent in the last couple of years? Some of that you were for, I guess, because you. You thought it was paid for, I guess. But, but then again, you know, there's no free lunches. If corporations are paying for it, that's not necessarily a great thing. It, the money could have gone somewhere else. So how did you draw the line at, okay, now I don't like all this profligate spending on this one versus the others? American Rescue Plan, it was too large. I said that at the time. I said it less clearly than I should have. If I had to do it over again, I'd be clearer next time. The Inflation Reduction Act is deficit reduction. It's going to help us in the fight against inflation. But, but you, it's going to make the Fed's job easier. But, and the money is going for something I think is useful, climate change and um, health care. Maybe, maybe. I mean, when China and India and everybody else is, is just, you know, got their pedal to the metal in terms of hydrocarbons, it, I'm not sure. And paid for by tax increases, that's a choice. That's another choice that, that you're making there. It's obviously not, not free. And it, and it probably... Look, I mean, it doesn't help, doesn't help the Fed. It doesn't help the, what the Fed's trying to do either. Um, you know, I'm not sure all your viewers are going to agree with me, in part because they've heard a lot of really distorted things. 
but what better way to raise taxes than to collect the taxes um, that are already owed? There's an awful I'm lot of people of out there yeah. evading taxes. We're not catching them. You're not raising taxes. You're collecting them. That's no, what a bunch I, of the I'm money in, comes. I'm talking about the, corp the corporate part. Uh, yeah, we do see a lot of stuff about the... Uh, the 87,000 uh, new IRS agents, because they're going to, I mean, there's, no, there's not 87,000 billionaires. So there's going to be people other than billionaires that they're going to be going after. You think everybody's really cheating on their taxes, Jason? Oh, I don't think everyone is, but there's about a trillion and a half dollars of cheating happening every year. Well, and I think that's something that, that both parties in the past, look, you had Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan stepped up enforcement of the tax code. He thought Good. it was important to have low well, rates and to actually collect the money. That's the tax system here, uh, you I'll, should aspire I'll to, really get people, I'll aspire to one with slightly higher rates. I'll really trigger people. Now, Lois Lerner stepped up the... Uh, <laughs> was that your administration? The, uh, anybody that had the Patriot in the name of a company got audited? Is that, how did that work? I just hope it's not weaponized. Obviously. I have no idea, because when you sit in the White House, you do not spend any time talking to the IRS about any of that. Mm -hmm. right. maybe, maybe you should have. I don't know. Steve's got a question, too. Steve? Hey, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys are talking about a, a really an important fiscal or, or, or macro issue, which is that the fiscal side, Jason, it's kind of getting a pass in this deficit, uh, in this inflation fight here. Uh, the uh, act that was just passed had the deficit reduction on the back half, but if you were to say, what could the administration do now to reduce inflation? It could be reducing deficits right now. And this really goes against that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, monetary policy is always the first line of defense, especially at a time right now where it's uncertain and things in the economy are pushing every which direction. You need a nimble technocratic authority like the Fed. But fiscal policy could be making their job easier with more deficit reduction. It's hard to imagine politically what a next round of deficit reduction would look like. But it but would if help. Could come together, it would, it would help. help. Absolutely. Now, we had a debate last time on Squawk Box that some Fed officials said they saw. So I just want to bring it up. I brought a chart now. It's about whether or not productivity in the economy is going up or down. My chart is productivity per worker, and it shows it going up. And we're doing more GDP right now with fewer workers. GDP per worker, it's coming down because we had the two quarters of negative growth. And if I had done domestic final sales or GDI, it wouldn't have be coming down quite so much. How is that a productivity crisis right there? So first of all, can we talk about GDI for like a minute or 20 minutes? I, I, they're going to get hurt. They're not going to let they, me do 20 minutes on GDI? No, oh, well. No. Uh, but look, look at your figure. Productivity, we've never seen two quarter decline that large, 6% annual rate. It is unchanged from two years ago. We've never seen that either. So we had this initial spurt of productivity. Right. It all came at the beginning. Now it's going away. That's actually complicated the inflation picture. Because when you give a worker a raise, if they're not getting more productive, you can't afford that raise without raising prices. So this, to me, says more price pressures ahead, a harder job for the Fed. Thanks, uh, Jason. We got we to gotta go. Steve, thanks. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, we're warming up for one of New York's biggest sporting events of the year, the U.S. Open. The tennis biz, who's hitting the court this year? You know, Serena turned pro in 1995. Has it been that long? Wow. Plus, who isn't? That's all coming up with USTA CEO, Lou Shear. Look, we're excited about the prospects for tennis in America. Um, at the grassroots level, Joe, over the past three years, we've experienced unprecedented growth. More than five million players have come into the game. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick. Andrew uh, is off today. We're going to ta- uh, talk the business of tennis Our in the bro. U.S. Open. You know, Serena turned pro in 1995. Do Has it math. been that long? Wow. Do the math. Uh, the tournament She's amazing. Amazing. The tournament is one of the biggest money-making events for New York City. It's going to be an intense two weeks without the Joker, though, without Djokovic, which is a bummer. Joining us first on CNBC is USTA uh, CEO. Wow, that's a lot of consonants. I need to buy no, a couple of vowels there. Lou Shear, good to see you, uh, Lou. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hopefully Serena will offset a little bit of the disappointment from Djokovic, I guess, uh, uh, for you. What are you going to do? This isn't your decision. It's, it's, he's not allowed to enter the country based on uh, COVID protocol, right? Yeah, that, that's correct, Joe. Look, Novak's a great champion. He's a three-time U.S. Open uh, champion as well. We would have loved to have him here in the field, but uh, the, the, the federal policies being what they are, he's not able to get into the U.S. Uh, uh, to travel to the U.S. And, and if he were here, he'd be eligible to play. There are no vaccine requirements, uh, but it's going to be a great tournament uh, regardless. Uh, Serena, we were, we we're just doing the math. Um, she's, you know, I still think of her as very, very, very youthful, and she is very youthful, but 27 years, tw- a 27-year career. And, you know, Jordan-esque, I don't know who you compare it to. That it, it, it's just a matter of, of uh, opinion at that point, who one of the greatest athletes to dominate any sport is. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Look, she has transcended our sport. Uh, she's the greatest player to ever step on the court. Uh, she has blazed a trail along with her sister, uh, a new trail into our sport against all odds. And I think she's inspired millions of, of, of fans around the world, not just to pick up a racket and maybe achieve excellence in sports, uh, but also to, to try to achieve excellence uh, in life. And uh, she's a great, great representative for all the great things that come through tennis and come through uh, sports and the opportunities that are created. And we're, we're hugely appreciative that she was able to announce her evolution away from the game in advance of this tournament, which gives her fans an opportunity to properly celebrate her uh, on the on the game's biggest stage uh, before she uh, starts to uh, to leave the court. It's an amazing event. I, lo- I love it every year. Um, I couldn't believe, Lou, how interested I got in in the nuance for for whether you should be allowed to coach from the stands uh, in tennis and how you would regulate that and, and the re- the rationale for doing it. There's a lot of uh, I guess sort of legacy players that are making the point that it's an individual sport and part of the competition is getting your own head together and facing problems that your coach has prepared you for prior to the match, but he shouldn't be there uh, after every point t- telling you what to do. And it, it just seems like a, you're opening up a Pandora's box here. I can't imagine how much coaching uh, is gonna be done, but you might say it's been going on anyway. We might as well, uh, we might as well have a say in how, but I don't know, maybe, maybe just enforce it better and keep the rule the way it is. I, I don't know how I feel. I, I saw both sides really explained well uh, when, when I uh, looked into the issue. Yeah, Joe, you know, it, it's taken a long time to get here. 
Um, and you're right, there are arguments on, on both sides. We're very interested to see, uh, does it create a new dynamic that, that will pull in more fans or hold your interest to see uh, what transpired? We've actually been experimenting with coaching during the qualifying tournaments here for a number of years, uh, and that's gone very smoothly. The ATP is now introducing coaching. The women have had on-court coaching during some breaks. Uh, for many, many years, uh, and we don't think it's ever taken away from the competitive aspect of the sport, the individual aspect of the, uh, of the sport. And at the same time, we also recognize that there is coaching that is taking place. It puts a huge burden on the officials to, to try to manage that over the course of a match, and, and we're optimistic that it's just going to further elevate the, uh, the level of play. So uh, that will be new this year, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the tournament. Hey, Luke, uh, Novak notwithstanding, would you say this is the first real return of it. I mean, I went last year, it was great, but, but we're, we're trying to put this pandemic behind us. Where, where are we, 80% of the way now, would you say? Versus 50 you last, know, I, last I year? I think as, as we plan for, for this year, um, you know, we're, we're looking at this year very much like 2019, and all of our comps are being measured against 2019, which was a record-breaking year for us in terms of, of fan attendance and all of the revenue drivers. Uh, viewership, all of the things that uh, support this event, drive this event. Uh, there won't be any uh, requirements or restrictions on fans coming in. There aren't really any requirements on the athletes competing. Last year, we did have some challenges, right? We didn't know up until the last minute how many fans we'd be able to, to welcome. Uh, even the week before the tournament, there was a new restriction uh, requiring all fans to be vaccinated to come onto the ground. So we had to be nimble and adjust. We did have great crowds. We didn't see the international fans last year in the way that we're seeing them come back this year, which is great for the event, also great for New York City. Uh, so we, we're feeling, again, things can certainly change. We've learned that with COVID. But right now we're feeling like we're back to uh, the spectacular events that, that you'll remember. There's great stars, uh, obviously, but I can't help but think of, um, you know, just Serena, for example. She's eventually is not going to be uh, playing. And then think of those three guys, unprecedented in, in, in history. I mean, we had Jimmy Connors and we, all the great players uh, of the past, McEnroe and Sampras and all the Andre. But three guys at once probably all are going to be done at around the same time, Nadal and, and Djokovic and, and Federer, someone always steps up. I guess I don't, we don't need to worry. What's happened with American tent? Where are the guys in America? It's been a while. Andy Roddick was the last one, right? Yeah, no, you're right. The last one to win a U.S. Open. Uh, look, we're excited about the prospects for tennis in America. Um, at the grassroots level, Joe, over the past three years, we've experienced unprecedented growth. More than five million players have come into the game. Uh, that's more than all other racket sports combined in that period. It's up about 30% from a participation standpoint, which, as you know, is a big part of our mission and, and why the organization exists. Excited that disproportionate growth is coming from youth. It's coming from people of color. I think a lot of that is the Serena legacy. But we also have seven players now in the top 50. On the men's side, we have seven players in the top 50. On the women's side, two in the top 10, and Jess Pagula and Danielle Collins. Uh, and, and so we're bullish. Uh, Taylor Fritz won a 1,000 this year, uh, has steadily climbed up, uh, and now is the highest-ranked American on the tour. So we're, we're optimistic, but, you know, those things uh, are difficult to control. Yeah. I play, Lou, and I, I, I have perfected uh, not everyone can, can not move their feet basically at all. And I, I change my grip depending on where the – and I can 
Like, and basically, because it's it is a it's a lot harder to move all over the court, right? But have you tried? Are you any good? It, it gets harder uh, by USTA standards. I'm not very good. Yeah, but I have I've noticed I perfect. I start I've pickleball. It's fun. Pickleball? Yeah. Like ping sure. pong almost. No, it's it's it's, it's like, a little big. It's a little kind of like yeah. paddle. Yeah. Lou, thanks, uh, and good luck, and, and uh, Thank you. can't wait. Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We know you have limited listening time, and we are so grateful that you spend some of it with us. If you like what you hear every day, please be sure to follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening and leave us a review or share an episode with friends if you're so inclined. As you know, this podcast leverages the best of our TV broadcast. To catch the full three hours of Squawk Box, tune in to Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin on weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. We'll meet you right back here on Monday, but in the meantime, have a fantastic weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.